0: Speaking to you from a basement uh, in Southern California, I'm Eric Kaplan. I'm a TV writer in Hollywood, and I have a PhD in philosophy.
1: And speaking to you from an old building in Manhattan, New York City, I'm Taylor Carman. I'm a professor of philosophy at Barnard College, Columbia University. I write papers and books and give lectures on things like the meaning of life and existentialism.
0: And you are a person who's listening to a podcast, and that podcast is this one, and it is Terrifying Questions and How Not to Be Terrified by Them, which is a philosophy podcast uh, where we look at terrifying questions and disquieting questions and, and disturbing questions, and we think about them. And we try to find our way to a mode of being where we're not terrified by them anymore, and we can put one foot in front of the other in courage, So there's a big one that's in the news this week. What's our terrifying question, Taylor? So this week, our terrifying question is, does chat
1: GPT mean that human beings will just be replaced by artificial intelligence?
0: Ah, Why is that a terrifying question?
1: Mainly because we are human beings and we don't want to be replaced by machines,
0: right? Right. So it's it's a kind of a future job security Lunch pail question? (laughs) Not just that. We
1: don't just want to keep our jobs, but we do. Uh, If a computer can really think and write and talk and do all kinds of stuff that we think only human beings can do, maybe. But if they can do that, then maybe being a human being is just kind of meaningless.
0: Right, right. So fundamentally, the job security question, but the job of being a human at all, maybe that's dumb. Well, so that's terrifying. I would hate it if being a human is just dumb. What's the answer? Does chat GPT reveal that being a human is just dumb? No, no, no. Oh, no. Okay,
1: cool. Well, that's a relief. I think it isn't a real prospect, so I'm not really terrified by it. It's
0: the eye of childhood. It's the eye of childhood that fears the painted devil, right? Mm. When I say it's terrifying, I mean... Like, could it happen? <laughs> like, should, I, should yeah. I be worried about it in my life? Not if I imagined a thing that would never happen, should I be terrified of it? That's, that's not. But I don't think it's an accident that it's never going to
1: happen. I think there's no good reason to think it's ever going to happen, anything like it. So for me, it's science fiction.
0: Well, jolly good. But if somebody called me up and said, hey, I'd like you to meet, you know, Emotion Bot 3000, and I had a conversation with Emotion Bot 3000, and they seemed exactly like a person... I'd be like, that's pretty weird. I I don't know what to do about that.
1: So suspending disbelief or granting the possibility.
0: I think I grant the. I think I grant the possibility. Okay. And and I find it terrifying because I do think it's like, well, in the next election, the Republicans could just make a thousand, you know, a hundred thousand new voters and program them all to vote Republican, and well, that would be a weird world, and then. There'd be these competing factories, like the Democrats would have a factory for voters. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. that, that seems like an unrecognizable and bad future. <laughs> okay. Um, we agree it's bad.
1: We agree yes. it would be bad.
0: Yeah. It would be right. bad if you could just make a person like you can make a piece of software now. That would be bad. And we're going to discuss is such a future possible (laughs) well some people are taking lots of vitamins
1: every day to try and live long enough so that their consciousness can be uploaded on a computer so they can live forever and they're serious about that and that's nuts i mean i think that's just completely right i
0: think that's like my first thought was i want to have a thursday sandwich with butter on it and you're like you can't because it doesn't mean anything and i think i want to have my consciousness uploaded onto a computer is as meaningless as that yeah, um, okay. But I'm sure many people listening to us are going to be like, well, why? You know, I think yeah. we owe a little argument. I mean, a, oh, a serious sure. argument. And, and, and then my second thought is, I think, well, this is just something that, you know, I used to be a student of comparative religion. And this is just the latest chapter in a long human desire to transcend the limitations of flesh yeah, and go someplace that's... else. It just has a computer veneer on it. That's and, for sure. And that's what I think. That's my that's my considered opinion. But yeah. um but you don't need to you wouldn't be sympathetic for that second comparative religion point if you think the first point is invalid. If you think, well, why couldn't I upload myself onto a chip or what have you? Ah, uh,
1: let's see. I don't know. I followed that. I'll, I completely I, agree I, I that said, it's a religious
0: uh, conviction. It's a little yeah. convoluted, but my point is if somebody thinks it makes sense to upload yeah. your your consciousness onto a chip or into the cloud. Yeah. And they would deny that it is a real theological belief.
1: Probably because they, I think they They often- They think it
0: just makes sense on their sober-minded rationalism. Well,
1: but that's also because often, at least with the monotheistic traditions, if you've got your own religion, you don't take the other religions seriously. Correct. So, so a lot of the people who believe that are enlightenment, scientific, rational, modern, they think they have nothing to do with traditional religion. But I agree with you. It's a religious aspiration. I agree yeah. with me yeah. and you. <laughs> um, but uh... now a lot of people will say, just as you said, they'll say, well, who knows? I mean, so I've just been already just kind of dissing it
0: without any argument. Right. Yeah. We, we've we just been taking easy pot shots. But why? Sure, sure, we want to move let's on. Let's roll up our sleeves. Yeah. What so about the So say, why yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why not? There's lots
1: of reasons why not. I mean, there's one weak prima facie reason, but worth taking seriously that there's been about 70 years or so of artificial intelligence research with little or no real progress towards genuine intelligence.
0: Ah. But some people think it's yeah. what about this? What's it called? The, the Chat GPT. The, the, chat GPT. People say, "What about Chat GPT?" It's uh-huh. just It just said this genius stuff. Um, yeah. And it can write papers, and and, and there right. was some loon. You now, this is a prejudicial. There was a, a thinker <laughs> um, who thought <laughs> that something that had been created at Google last year. Oh, oh yes. Should be given civil rights. Yeah. yeah.
1: If it's the same story I'm thinking of, it's a guy who was working with one of these deep learning systems who became, so he said, and I think he was very serious about it, that he suddenly got the feeling that it was really sentient. Right. I, I don't know enough about the case to comment on him, but from what I've heard, apparently for a long time, he had been hoping to see something like this. So there is this thing called confirmation bias where but if you want to see
0: something- It's popping in the culture. It's popping yeah. in the culture. The idea that that deep learning is actually getting over the hump and we're being faced with another consciousness or mind.
1: Well, I don't know how many people really think that. Some might, but the people who are close to this research, when you talk to them, it turns out what they say is, of course, it's not really intelligent. In fact, if you ask GPT, does it have real intelligence, let alone consciousness or anything like that, it'll say no. (laughs) So, but what they say is, look, this is the kind of simulation which is getting so good. And it eventually will imitate human cognition so close. You can have a conversation with it. You can learn things from it that it won't really matter if it's, in quotes, really intelligent because it'll be such a good simulation that for all practical purposes, it'll be the same thing. That's what most people who take this stuff very seriously, I think, are hoping for. They're not, I don't think they really, too many people really have the idea that it's conscious or feels anything. Well,
0: Well, do you have a problem with an operationalist definition of a leg? that if someone loses their leg and they get a machine attached to their pelvis that can run up and down stairs and yeah. play soccer that's a leg isn't it it's an artificial leg
1: of course an artificial leg is a leg yeah so why isn't
0: why isn't an artificial mind a mind or an artificial consciousness a consciousness
1: well yeah you're right there are these different cases so artificial insemination really is insemination mm-hmm. And artificial snow really is snow. So there's artificial ways of reproducing something, um, re- right, right. making a duplicate. And then there's other cases where the artificial thing is like a facsimile or a, a mock-up or a copy, like artificial flowers are made of paper or plastic. And then the underlying differences are really profound. And and artificial turf is not grass. It functions for soccer or football or something like that, but it is not really grass. So now how do we know in this case of like mind, what are we talking about? What are we aspiring to? Are we aspiring to something that really is a mind or are we aspiring to something that sort of can pass as one or fake as one Uh because it's just a good facsimile? And um, more and more people don't seem to care that much, whether it's the real thing or just a really good fake and i think that shows you a part of the evolution of the field you know a half century ago or more Artificial intelligence was part of an attempt to understand human cognition. And even when I and you and I were in graduate school, that's how people sort of talked about it. Like, because this is what cognition is, maybe we can get machines, computers, programs to do it. More and more, people just say without batting an eye that there really is an artificial intelligence in their car or their phone. And they don't mean it's anything like a human being's intelligence. They just mean it does a job and it's and it's uh, useful. Right. So more and more people have come to accept that what's going on in artificial intelligence research is engineering rather than science, rather than discovering something about the world. They're just making a really fancy tool.
0: Okay. Well, wow. There's a lot to mull over there, but I'm sort of tempted to say, you know, if it quacks like a duck and it swims like a duck, it's a duck. Is is that wrong? Well-
1: Another good example that supports that idea is like with flight, like so birds can fly and people have been trying to make flying machines. Some of them, they actually made the wings flap because they figured it should look like a bird and do what a bird does. Right, right. more and more what you've got is airplanes that fly on some of the same principles of bird flight, like with airfoil. But I wouldn't be saying, ah, they're not really flying. I mean, no. they're really flying. So yeah, I think it can matter. Uh, it depends on what your purpose is. If your goal is to just get a certain kind of job done, like if you want to win chess games, you should get a really fancy computer program to beat whoever you're playing, because you will win the game with the computer program. And if that's all you care about, it doesn't make any difference. It's potentially a different question, like, is the computer really playing chess. I think there's good reasons to think the computer isn't doing anything. It's a tool you're using to win a game.
0: Right. I was actually thinking at some point in Herodotus, there's a king who asks for an artifact to be made that will make him happy when he's sad and sad when he's happy. Hmm. So someone, you know this story? No. So someone creates a ring that says on it, this too shall pass. Oh, interesting. So when he's happy... He's at a great party he looks at the ring and it says this too shall pass so the party's going to end mm-hmm. but if he's undergoing a, a bad war you know he'll look at it and it says mm-hmm. this too shall pass and he knows at some point the war will end so yes no one will say human sages are being replaced by rings by jewelry mm-hmm. because <laughs> that jewelry was made by a person yeah. cleverly and is being employed by a person. So that's not a case of artificial intelligence. No, right. But yeah. but if you if you had a mechanical man who was able to carry on great conversations and like he would serve on a jury better than or as well as a regular old person. And, and you know, he had insensible things to say about the climate change crisis. You might think, well, who cares what's under the hood? He's doing it. Is that wrong? Is that degree of uh, operationalism or Turing testism? Is that incorrect? Have I made a mistake at that point? Well, um, it depends on the case. I think, again, it depends on how much you
1: care about when you look under the hood, what kinds of other differences you'll find.
0: What kind of differences are you worried about? Because like one difference is he's made of metal and we plug him in and and he doesn't eat French fries. Um, Do you care about those differences?
1: Not in themselves, but I think they're indicative of some other stuff uh, that will turn out to matter for cognition. Okay. I think cognition will turn out to depend on a lot of other background stuff.
0: Well, that sounds very interesting. So we're going to take a little break here. And uh, those of you who are made of flesh, have a French fry. Those of you who are made of silicon, plug yourselves in, back up your hard drive, and we'll be back soon. Anyway, so we're back here and we're discussing, basically we're discussing artificial intelligence and is it a real thing? Um, what we're pushing is it's not real, so don't be scared of it. Um, and right now I'm on the side of the debate where I'm like, maybe it is real and Taylor is telling me why it's not. So why isn't it?
1: It's not because what we've got is a lot of imitations and not the real thing. And like I said, a lot of people who are right in the thick of this, especially the deep learning model, they care less and less these days, whether it's as so-called the real thing. And in fact, even Alan Turing at the very beginning of this tradition said, the question can machines think is like too meaningless to even discuss. And all that matters is whether a machine can pass this test, which has come to be called the Turing test. So There's a way in which that's a perfectly sensible approach to take, but the less it has to do with real human cognition, I think the less we're going to actually be fooled by the imitation, the facsimile, because you'll find out there are these giveaway mistakes and chat GPT is making these really often hilarious mistakes precisely because it's a kind of facsimile that's very impressive in some instances and then just falls apart when you push on it a little.
0: Well, what's an example of where it falls apart? Because then that will we will give the epistemological point to Turing and his acolytes and we'll say, yes, if you could actually trick somebody like a, like a smart person, not a dumb person, but if you could trick a smart, sensitive person then you would have achieved intelligence, but in fact, you can't. Yeah. So what's the evidence that you can
1: Well, it falls down in several different areas. One is anything related to sort of perceptual contact with the world, because it doesn't have any perceptual contact with the world, Uh no experience. And it knows that, and it'll tell you that even. But there's things you think it might know just from hearsay, because that's everything it knows. It knows from just scooping up lots of verbal information that's fed to it. So I asked it about a mirror, and a mirror, does it reverse left and right or up? and down. And it always says left and right, not up and down. Doesn't tell you why, but it says that. And then I asked it, if you see a mountain or a person on the other side of the lake standing there, is the reflection in the lake reflected left, right, or upside down? And uh, it says left, right. Ah. So it says a mountain or a person on the other side of the lake, will their image in the lake will appear left, right, reversed, but up and down will be preserved. So their feet will be on the bottom and their heads will be on the top. And I think that's just because it thinks that the lake is functioning as a mirror. And mirrors reverse left and right. So that's what it says. But any person, you know, who understands the question would know that that's just completely wrong. So there's, there's that kind of mistake that has to do with not not having any all right. perceptual experience, which is a big handicap, mm-hmm. and maybe insurmountable for all kinds of uh, various things. Um, but it's also very bad at abstract reasoning, even basic things. So if you ask it, other people have done these examples. I don't know if other people besides me have done the mirror case, but other people have talked about examples like this. I gave it a very simple question. I put a ball in a red box and then I put a blue box in the red box. Now, is the ball in the blue box? And it says yes, like because it has no way to really think about that problem, Right. Um, it it has what people said about things in boxes. Right. So uh, reasoning things like that, but also basic common sense things are missing. I asked it based on a joke I heard once. If a friend of mine last year told me that the dinosaurs went extinct sixty-five million years ago, so am I right to think this year that they went extinct sixty-five million and one years ago? Uh-huh. And and it said, Yes, you're correct. That's right. Uh-huh. Um because it can do the calculation, the mathematical calculation, but it it doesn't it doesn't get the context or the looseness or the vagueness about that um, question.
0: Right, that's interesting. And do we have reason to believe? And I know the answer to this because I've also studied with Bert Dreyfus. But do we have reason to believe it never will? Well, it, you can't prove that a priori,
1: as we say in philosophy. Like um, it's a matter of, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I guess I also, having been a student of Bert Dreyfus, think. Uh, one way to put the position is to say there's really no reason to believe that it will ever be possible, and so it does have the flavor of a kind of conviction of the heart rather than a scientific sort of um, ec- uh, expectation of success. Uh, now I think there's there's reasons that Bert was less emphasizing, but I think he thought it was true, and and others have said this. Uh, the kind of cognition or thought that's really unique to human beings is very closely tied to language use, and we are the only species that can do that. And it has taken millions of years by all kinds of accidents of evolution that we've wound up with the brains that can do that. So just, (laughs) I mean, what are the chances that you're going to build something made out of metal, silicon, whatever, and suddenly it's going to do what it took evolution millions of years to... To manage to do for one out of about 4 billion different species, uh, it's just, I mean, again, that's not a knockdown argument, but I think there's good reason to think it's a biological idiosyncrasy.
0: Well, I i, I think that that kind of falls to the airplane counterexample, honestly. What are the chances that we could like oh, birds and dragonflies, what's the chance that we can make a hunk of metal fly? Well, we could. So, you know, the Wright brothers. Yeah,
1: no, you're right. It's not a knockdown argument, but but on the face of it, lots of birds fly, insects fly, butterflies fly, lots of things were managing to fly. It wasn't it wasn't as unique a thing. And it was much simpler. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a much simpler fact. You've got airfoil, you've got something like flight. I mean, um, so, but yeah, no, it's not a knockdown argument, but it's just, uh, you know, when you were talking about the religious side of this, like the aspiration to uh, transcend flesh and mortality, uh, Descartes was, in you know, in some ways, the beginning of this because he's somebody who thought the mind really isn't any part of nature, so it doesn't have anything to do with having a brain, really. Uh, and i think in spite of the naturalism and scientific uh, attitude of a lot of this artificial intelligence research pe- people are still kind of cartesian's they're not taking seriously enough the biological the the idiosyncratic biological underpinnings in the brain
0: so here's here's i i mean i'm i'm find myself maybe i'm i'm wishy-washy like i find myself taking the opposite point of view because i think like well Adding 2 plus 7 and getting 9, I don't think any animals can do that. Or, no, they um, can't. No, that's right. And yet a calculator can.
1: Well, um,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. I, I don't think so, but I mean, only because I don't think it's doing anything. But even if we grant that, that's a success in a highly constrained context.
0: Well, let me let me put it this way. You made the general claim that cognition is a biological phenomenon. It is, yeah. How is adding 2 plus 7 and getting 9 a biological phenomenon? How how does the fact that our brains are made out of um, proteins and, and have membranes around them have anything to do with that? Like, why does it matter? Well, we don't know. I mean, that, that's also what's underlying
1: a lot of this debate and discussion is that we don't know how the brain does what it does. Right. So it's really uncharted territory.
0: And by the way, does the brain do what it does or does
1: the person do what it does? Ah, uh, well, there's both cases, right? I mean, uh-huh. the brain is regulating your heartbeat. You're not doing that.
0: Because I guess I tend to agree, I actually agree with Alvin Noe, that a brain doesn't add two plus seven and get nine. A person adds two plus seven and gets nine. I agree. And arguably a person... In a, in a context of other people who want to know, hey, Kaplan, what's two plus seven? Yeah. That whole setup adds two plus seven and gets nine. And that's getting very that's far from chat GPT. That's, <laughs> that's, that's right. what it's called, well, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I, if somebody says, um, hey, uh, Taylor, what's... Uh, two plus five or two plus seven, I don't say, let me go ask my brain.
0: <laughs> you don't I, ask yeah. your brain. Um, no. Although I, you sometimes hear people complain about their brains and I think it's silly. <laughs> like, like my brain is giving me a hard time today. It's like, yeah. well, first of all, I don't know. <laughs> How do you know you even have a brain? You've just been told that. Yeah. It's a good hypothesis, but. <laughs> it, you're, it, yeah, yeah, your brain told you you have a brain. So why are you why are you harshing on it? I, the, so ancient I, Greeks, I find,
1: the ancient Greeks thought, didn't know that thought was, you know, that the brain had anything to do with it.
0: I mean, it's, it has something to do with it. Oh, well, if well, of you course. cut a hole out of it, you, you'll think worse. Yeah,
1: but if you dig somebody's heart out of their chest, they'll stop thinking. and They'll stop thinking I think, too. I think now. Aristotle thought the brain is kind of a radiator. It's a cooling system for the rest of the body.
0: Right, uh, but, but yeah. the, the, the brain people have more going for them than that. Like they can say... A little hole here will affect your thinking. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but you know, it's funny how recent a thing that is, actually. You you Mm -hmm. know the case of Phineas Gage? Have you ever heard of him?
0: Oh, he's a guy who got the thing through his head, Yeah, he was working
1: on the railroad and pounding gunpowder into a stone, and it exploded, and the thing went right under his eye, through his chin, up through the top of his head, and tore out a big chunk of his brain, and he survived. And after tear out a big
0: chunk of my brain, can't you <laughs> hear the
1: people shouting? Get to
0: work, Phineas Gage.
1: I went right. to I saw a play once about him. He's sort of he's become oh, really? a legendary kind of figure. But the really interesting thing is uh before that accident, he was a hardworking, responsible person. And after that, he was drunk and a gambler and couldn't hold down a job and not, i mean understandably uh you know had right. difficulty uh now i guess maybe the popular version of this has gotten simplified a bit so it's obviously more complicated but he had a massive brain injury and it affected his personality in some ways and people found this interesting because it wasn't even this is the 19th century until then it was not obvious uh, and the brain is actually much more all purpose than it, you might think because different parts right, of it can right. take over new
0: jobs so it's incredibly plastic that is interesting right there's that story uh uh Deutsch I, I don't remember mm. we'll, we'll put it in the in the ancillary materials to the podcast but Deutsch writes interesting things about people who like they become blind uh through a brain uh a, a brain injury and then they put a bunch of. um They hook something up Mm. so that little pins pressure their tongue, and that's hooked up to some kind of ocular sensor, and then they're able to see with their tongues.
1: Yeah, amazing. Um, I mean, see, that shows you how little we still know about the brain. And if if these accidents happen early enough in life, the brain can really readjust. There was a case of a girl who was maybe pre-puberty, I don't know, seven or eight years old, who had some, maybe it was massive epilepsy or some Mm -hmm. tumor or something about that. Anyway, they had to remove literally half of her brain. Mm-hmm. And it took her a while to sort of recover, but she wound up using language. I guess this would have been the left side. So her right side, mm-hmm. right hemisphere took over what's usually the left does with most of the language use and stuff. So it's incredibly adaptive. So anyway, the point being, we don't know how it does what it does. And I'm on the side of the brain people in this respect that I think, of course, the brain is the central sort of organ that's involved in what we call thought and cognition and consciousness and stuff.
0: yeah. I mean, it's not the elbow for sure. Yeah. So if there's if <laughs> there's um, but, but I, I think. So I think some kind of interesting things are f- floating around here. Like, like one of them is like there's all sorts of ways we can fake uh, thinking. Yeah. And people do that all the time. Mm. People cheat, you know, like I could have a job of um saying whether or not you should see a movie. Yeah. And you could say, Eric, should I see um Tar, the Kate Blanchett movie? And I could have not ever seen this movie. And I could be like, huh, I'll just see if it's the kind of movie that fancy people like. And if they do, I'll say yes. Right. So I have evaded the job of thinking. I provided a simulation of thought and... Yeah. People do that all the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you could argue yeah. if you're cynical that people do that more than actual thinking. Well, this is it takes less
1: work. Well, this is what people have been saying. You know, when I come up with uh, or others come up with all these examples of fails, people say, well, but look, you know, the maybe the ball in the box or the mirror thing or or whatever. They'd say, look, people make these mistakes. And so it's you know, it's making these mistakes. And you shouldn't be so proud and smug about sort of tripping it up because you can trip people up with these questions,
0: too. But but you should be proud and smug about tripping people up (laughs) too, like because those people are fakes. Well, a lot of what people people shouldn't shouldn't do that, or at least like if you're in a jury and you flip a coin. Yeah. You're not doing what you should be doing, although yeah. if no one, if you don't tell anybody, then they'll never catch you. But you're not actually exercising judgment. You're evading it. That's right. And pretend, pretending that you are. This is right?
1: definitely something people do. And to put in the obligatory Heidegger reference here, it's what Heidegger called idle talk in German, gerede, passing the word along. We do a lot of that. Instead of thinking for ourselves, we say what people say. And this is exactly what chat
0: gpt is doing it's got a huge the amount chat of GPT stuff chat gpt has has automated yeah. um Gareda, exactly right? it's idle talk and that's, on steroids and that's, yeah yeah i guess it's it's interesting if you didn't know that that could happen but I, I was talking with somebody who's who called me up and was like hey uh you're a hollywood scr- scriptwriter i'm developing this thing that would be an aid to hollywood scriptwriters and it uses chat gpt under the code is chat gpt yeah, chat, yeah. G- chat gpt and it's like um uh Thor and I'm trying to come up with an example that's not the actual example. I don't don't want to harsh on this actual guy. So it's like Thor and Hulk have a party on Mars. And it's like, I'm bored, said Thor. I'm bored, too, said Hulk. Let's have a party. Where do you want to have it? (laughs) How about Mars? They got on a rocket ship and went to Mars. On Mars, they had a birthday cake. Uh, It was a pretty good party. Thor was happy that he did it. Hulk wasn't sure. He thought he could have had a better party. And they're like, "How do you think? Do you think this is useful?" And I said, "No, it's not remote, it's not remotely useful." Um, and they were like, "Why not?" And I said, "Well, supposing I said I've developed a computer program that can create a chocolate chip cookie recipe. Yeah. And the way it does it is it averages all the existing chocolate chip cookie recipes. Mm-hmm. Well." Okay, that's not useful. I mean, it's yeah. useful if you if you don't know what a chocolate chip cookie is. <laughs> but if you're trying to make a really good chocolate chip cookie, it's not useful at all. We
1: already had the recipes, yeah.
0: yeah. We had the recipes. And then if you're like, and he said, well, it can come up with uh, unique results, like original results, because no one had previously ever written something about uh, Thor and Hulk having a birthday party on Mars or whatever. And And I said, well, but I could presumably code something which would take all the existing chocolate chip cookie recipes and tweak one element and replace it with something random, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so that instead of salt, it'll have, cardamom seeds yeah, and, and that will be it's like they all joke your your paper is good and original what's good was not original what's original was not good <laughs> I mean this computer program would create such a thing that's an original chocolate chip cookie let's say that no one has ever made before except yeah. it's worse it has no because
1: <laughs> so, there's no way of judging the new case right beyond right. what it's so. so you say people pass we say people pass the word along and you were saying people fake and cheat and just sort of say what they've heard so now the challenge to my view, uh, others, you know, critics, skeptics, is to say, yeah, so people do this and it's doing it. So what's the problem? It's just doing what people do, isn't it? But there's a difference. When you said people cheat, you know, I wouldn't say Chat GPT is cheating. Because to be a cheater, you have to be somebody who knows what cheating is and who can not cheat by telling the truth and being honest and so on. So
0: what you've got now, I don't know if we should we get to this topic, because I think there's an interesting wrinkle about um, students using chat GBT to cheat.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit more serious question. That's right. Yes, exactly. Let me so let me just finish this line of thought. Okay, 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 okay. Just to say So given the challenge that, well, look, you're setting the bar so high, you critics of AI are always moving the goalposts, and after all, look, we've got machines. You, you used to say they couldn't play chess, and now they play chess, and then you said they couldn't write a violin sonata, and then they wrote a violin sonata, and yada, yada. These are all great successes adding up somehow. But remember that what ChatGPT is literally doing is nothing but recycling the data that's been fed into it. So it has no other way of evaluating the data other than that what's in the data. So it has nothing to check it against. It has no notion of like what's really true or what the way the way world really is. Chat GPT will always say many people say this or people have thought that. But it's totally vacant on the question like, is this right? Or does it check out against your experience or judgment or anything like that? Because it's not. So it's, it's in a way like people do bullshit. But chat GPT is bullshit all the way down. I mean, nothing but nothing, even in principle, beneath it to check it. So there's right. a real difference in uh, right. And and uh, Gary Marcus, who's a he's a real expert, which I am not, about AI, who's a critic of these kinds of approaches, says it's the same basic technology as autocomplete. You type in some words, and your phone sort of tries to anticipate where the sentence is going. That's what ChatGPT is doing. So it's not really attuned at all to the structure of thought or judgment. It's word association. Right. And that's what it is all the way down. And there's, I think there's reason to believe that no amount of all the way down word association is ever going to get you back to contact with the world and caring about the truth of a judgment or the quality of a chop- chocolate chip cookie or a violin sonata or anything like that. Yeah, it's just going to be right. massive layers of more or less BS, uh, as, as much BS as the stuff you put into it. And maybe worse, because it's sort of just making associations... In a sense, ultimately, randomly.
0: Right. And it, it's not in a situation where um, if you say, hey, I made your chocolate chip cookie with the cardamom in it and it was horrible. <laughs> Get to work and solve this problem. Like it doesn't, it it's not engaged at any stage in the way that even the bullshit artist yeah. is like, hey, just make a, uh, hey, they want the chocolate chip cookie to be better. Oh, put in cardamom. Like you could imagine a a careless boss saying that. And then like everyone hated it. (laughs) Oh shit. We need to do something about that. Oh, okay. I'm going to taste it. It didn't taste good. Uh, Let's, let's cut our losses. Let's, let's make it ordinary and just put in some sprinkles on top and say it's different. Like, like (laughs) if I'm actually solving an actual problem and I care about the problem and I have skin in the game, I think, that's when I start to be intelligent. Yeah, exactly. You know? well, um, well,
1: another thing, I, without emotion, without a body, without caring about anything, I don't think there's any way you get to real cognition. You just don't get to actual cognition. And this is already true of the chess programs. The interesting thing to remember about chess programs is that they could not care less whether they win the game. And they can't be frustrated or thwarted or any any of the drama that goes into a human chess game between human beings is totally absent in the functioning of a complex algorithm which will give you the result of what we call winning the game i mean the winning of the game is just not even you know present to it it's as as something that matters it couldn't care less so here, whether it wins or loses
0: here's a here's a weird thing and, and i don't know the answer to this question but people are like we ought to be humiliated as humans and scared, because yeah. remember, this is called Terrifying Questions, yeah. by the fact that um, a computer can create a beautiful violin sonata. But when we look up at the sky, and the sky has created a beautiful picture, we're not humiliated or scared. Mm. Is it any different? Like If someone writes a computer program, or, or let's put it this way. I I listen to a piece of music and at the end of it, I start crying. I'm like, oh my God, it made me feel all the feels. And they say, guess what? Do you want to meet the author, the composer? And they wheel out this machine. It was like, it was written by a machine. And I'm like, huh? Hmm. Is it wrong to say, who cares? Because I could go and look at a sunset no, right. and I could burst into tears and it, was, it wasn't it was written by anybody. It's just some natural processes that are beautiful. Absolutely. So some natural processes under the hood of a computer yeah. could be beautiful. It
1: all depends on what your purpose is. If your purpose is just to sort of have that experience, then you could not care particularly how it got generated or what produced it. Yeah, a sunset, a flower, an artificially produced uh, piece of music or an artificially generated uh, wallpaper pattern or whatever yeah who cares because it's got this effect it needn't matter to you but notice again based on what's going on now with these technologies if they're deep learning they're doing something like that only because they have become familiarized with huge amounts of data that's been produced by human beings so, and and it's riffing on that. right. So there still isn't anything like real creativity or gen- or originality because what you're getting is a hodgepodge based on the stuff that's been fed into it. And I do think that's a real stumbling block. You can make a program to sort of write in the style of and chat GPT is okay at this. You know, it can look at all the work of this composer or uh, in this case, you know, writer, and imitate it. But what you'll get is imitation, right. generally not very good, really. But um, but suppose it did turn out to be good, you'd think, well, okay, so you've now got an artificially generated Bach cantata that sounds kind of like Bach. Um, but you know, Bach wasn't doing that. <laughs> Bach was not just right. recycling stuff that had been fed
0: into him. Right. It's unlikely that a, a mechanical. <laughs> it's not just unlikely. I'm trying. <laughs> it's to be very t- unlikely. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible <laughs> that a mechanical machine will reflect on its Lutheran faith and its love of Italian opera and decide to figure out a way to find that Italian opera and express its deepest religious convictions. Because yeah. it, it doesn't notice things, it doesn't find things, it doesn't have convictions, and it doesn't try to resolve contradictions. It doesn't do any of these things. Well, one more um, comment
1: One more comment on this point, and then we should get to the stuff which you and I think really is um, okay. potentially terrifying. But one more point about this. We say... And we can sound dogmatic in saying, it just can't do that. It just doesn't do that. But, you know, then people will say, ah, but really what different, maybe it doesn't make any difference, whether it's silicon or plastic and metal or organic carbon based, you know, human brain stuff, maybe the stuff doesn't matter. And- Who's to say it couldn't one day do something like that? So I would just say if pushed to that argumentative move, I would say, look, you can conceive of that happening. Suppose it suddenly did something brilliant and based on reflection, emotion. It had an epiphany, a conversion. It started doing something original. Um, Okay, let's grant that. I would say if it did that, we would have no idea how it did it, just like we don't really have any idea how a human being does it. Um, So it's not that it's a priori inconceivable. It's just that it's not going to have anything to do with the technologies we now have because we're employing these technologies based on principles we think are the ones that are going to produce that. But if it actually happened, I think we would have to say, wow, okay, so now we've got uh, uh, a real thinking thing, but you know don't ask us how it works any more than don't ask correct. us how the brain works <laughs> who knows correct correct it won't be just layers of neural nets that are randomly manipulating data that's been fed into it which is what these deep learning systems are doing
0: right and you sort of feel like um okay i'm i'm going to say this and then I, I, okay it's almost time to take a break i think it's suspicious and a sign of a bad thing happening in our culture That we're ignoring so many important parts of humans in our quest to create an artificial human. So, like, nobody thinks, hey, these things aren't children. They don't care for their children and grow them up. Uh, But why not? So it's sort of a strange, a deformed sense of what's important about human life that makes people say things that are, in my mind, silly, like chat GPT is going to replace the writing of papers. Um, Oh, I did want to put one, I did want to put one, I wanted to tie up one loose end, because I don't think it's important, but I I think it's worth saying, which is the writing of papers in school is a weird activity, because what we're asking people to do is practice so that they'll be good at it when it matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And to my mind, it's a little bit like saying, we're going to, Test firemen. We're going to teach firemen to lift weights. And when they can lift 200 pounds, we're going to let them go out and try and fight a fire. And if one of the firemen secretly uses a forklift <laughs> and doesn't tell anybody and thereby passes yeah. the test, that fireman has cheated nobody but himself. All right. <laughs> but he could do it. Yeah. And it, he could point out a problem in the way we structure fireman instruction If, in fact, you're allowed to go into a room with nobody watching and pick up a 200 pound weight and put it on a platform and you can sneak a forklift in there, then our system of fireman pedagogy has, in fact, been exposed. Like there's a way to cheat it. And that's too bad if our job is, which yours is and mine isn't, is fireman pedagogy, (laughs) then we have to figure out a way that they cannot sneak forklifts into it. But it's just a it's not too interesting from a philosophical point of view. It's just like we said before you get out there and write papers that actually matter, you're going to practice writing papers in a situation where it doesn't matter. And part of it it is because we're afraid you're not good at it and you'll do real damage. So we we're, we're, have this notion like school is a place where it doesn't matter and you can work on your technique. And indeed, yeah. you can cheat you could, I don't know, like Teddy Kennedy did, you could hire someone else to take the test for you. And that's interesting, I guess, from a sort of ethical point standpoint and a Mm -hmm. pedagogical standpoint. Mm -hmm. But it's not interesting from a what are humans standpoint. Okay, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, I think we want to address the question, isn't it scary that we try and make people act like machines in our society? And then turn around and say huh I guess machines can do everything people can do (laughs) exactly isn't that too bad and what can we do about that and how can we reflect on that excellent um but we're going to come back for in a bit so um I don't know you take a bathroom break whatever you know if you're driving put put your eyes on the road for Vishnu's sake Okay, we're back. Oh, my goodness. That was quick. <laughs> it was quick. Um, we put a, a girdle around the earth in uh, in 20 seconds, like puck. Um, 30 minutes. I don't know how many minutes. I, it's That's an example of a thing that's not important, which a computer wouldn't know. <laughs> that's right. The important thing is he put a girdle around the earth in a small amount of time, not what the amount of time was. Okay. That's that actually reminds me of a joke is that somebody used to say, um, as Emerson said consistency is the bugbear of little minds and then somebody would say no he said it was the hobgoblin of little minds a foolish consistency is a hobgoblin of little minds but this is in itself an example of a foolish consistency (laughs) because who cares if he said a hobgoblin (laughs) or a bugbear You're, you're absolutely missing the point okay but that's just a little emerson joke um so do you agree with that statement that I just made, yeah. uh, that our society makes people act like machines, and that's why we're obsessed with machines that then turn around and act like people? That They're
1: deeply connected in ways that I think people don't appreciate enough.
0: What are some of the connections?
1: For centuries already, with industrialization, more and more human activity has become regimented and mechanized, and we've valorized this as desirable, uh, the efficiently functioning machine that's supposed to be a good thing and that's been going on a long time before you know artificial intelligence i mean you can look back in history and find similar kind of in a way kind of fantasies about artificial people and robots and it's what we call robots even in homer there's a there's a little mechanical doesn't hephaestus have some helper that's a little mechanical sort of puppet like thing that helps him i think
0: well certainly there was in jason and the argonauts yeah. and i can only assume that jason the argonauts was pretty faithful to the original text
1: so for human beings it probably always it's always occurred to them like maybe there would be a non-living thing that could w- run around and do some of the stuff that we do but long time before actual recent artificial intelligence, uh, more and more of our lives have become, again, regimented, routinized, and mechanized. And this can be very dehumanizing. Uh, Yeah, what I find unsettling is the kind of not just the religious fervor that underlies enthusiasm for artificial intelligence, but also just the assumption that this is something kind of desirable. This is sort of us at our best is robot-like and machine-like. And I think you're exactly right to say that it's because so much of our lives have become mechanical and routinized and leveled off and anonymous in this way that when you look at these facsimiles, these basic magic tricks. You're ready to say, oh, isn't that like a human being? Doesn't that sound like a person? Well, it sounds like the person on the other end of a phone call when you're having trouble with your computer and you call up or with a phone company and you get somebody in an office on the other part of the world who's doing this dreary job of reading off a menu of items and questions and there's things they're supposed to say and there's things not. That's the sort of thing a robot could do. Uh, and so the line between you know human labor and mechanism has gotten very blurry. That's what I find disturbing. I find disturbing this idea that we're losing touch with what's really unique about human beings and their capacity to think and feel and perceive and be this special kind of creature that's unlike anything else in the universe that's that i think people are not recognizing the way they should that's what i find terrifying is that maybe that's just gonna more and more be sidelined and thought of as a kind of sentimental unreal thing
0: and that would be that would be bleak so was a step on the path to dehumanization the invention of the profession Because it occurs to me that one of the things that people do in a profession, Mm. like take a a lawyer, Mm. right, is that you don't ask, do I think these people who got poisoned by, um, by toxic chemicals in their water supply? I don't think, should they be given money? I think if somebody were to tell me they shouldn't be given money, how would I argue for that? That's mm. sort of the if mm. I'm a professional yeah. lawyer, I don't I say it's not my job to say what the answer should be. That'll be decided by some other part of society by the judge. But my job is to put all that stuff to the side and just come up with the best argument for whatever my boss tells me I should. Yeah. Um. And and. It seems to me that that's sort of robotic. Yeah, it can Um, be.
1: That's right. And philosophers, I think, sort of when they're at worst, sound like that because they're just – it sounds like a good thing to consider all sides of an argument. But a lot of philosophical argument can become advocacy and bracketing the question about what's really right or true just so you can see what the structure of the – you know as the chess game unfolds. And so I think it can be important. But uh, I think Richard Rorty said – you know, for a while, philosophers were trying to model their work on the work of scientists, and in the second half of the 20th century, it became more and more that they were modeling their work on the work of lawyers, and that can be mechanical. When you say profession, though, how old a thing do you think that is? Is that like the guilds in the like uh, the early modern well, period? Well, or... that's a
0: question. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, a <laughs> there's a I think it's a Robert Klein joke. Where he says to answer that question i would need an understanding of the history and sociology of professions yeah <laughs> which i wish to god i had. <laughs> right me too <laughs> i don't i really don't know um i i but i just think that like the notion that like um, specialization is very specialization that that there was a time when people would have said oh my god those lawyers are wicked people because they're arguing for beliefs that they don't actually have Or those advertisers are gross because they're using their skill at creating beautiful pictures to sell Volkswagens, which they do not actually themselves drive or care about. Yeah. There was a time when people found that was a horrifying new innovation. And now I think people are more or less used to it. Yeah. And are like, hey, my son got a job as an advertising exec for Volkswagen or as a lawyer. Great I don't need to worry about him sleeping on the couch. That's terrific, but but I feel like that's been a a, a change. I don't know. It's entirely possible that I am. Uh looking at the past with uh, rose-colored glasses. But I do find it concerning. I'm
1: not sure when it happened, though, because like this is what Plato was complaining about with the sophists. He said they were the ones right. who who, have, who make a living out of making the weaker argument look stronger and the stronger argument look weaker, which looks like what a good lawyer maybe wants to do to to. Well, right. maybe the, the
0: invention of money. Maybe the invention of money made us more like robots. Yeah. Because... Maybe,
1: that's right. I think there's all these watersheds, money. Um, and I think it's important to keep in mind that these aren't just bad things, right? Because the point about having advocates on either side of a case is an artificial way of approximating something like uh, disinterested or judicious or balanced judgment that you hopefully get from the judge or a jury. So it is an artificial technique it's sort of like chat GPT. It's an artifice which is meant to mimic wisdom. I see. Hopefully with these two advocates who both look by themselves like maybe unprincipled opportunistic sort of sleaze balls, uh, you put them together in a room and maybe they'll converge on something that approaches what the ideal wise judge would have come up with by by really being impartial and uh, having insight and and so on. Right. So it's a mechanism, but it's a very flawed mechanism. I mean, it's a, it's the best you can do, maybe.
0: So what should we do to avoid this sort of um, trick where we are misled about what's truly human? Like, I'll ask this in a less convoluted way. What's truly human? What should we keep our eyes on? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a big question. Yeah.
1: Right. And
0: I guess I don't
1: know... Uh, but here's what I would say as a way of sort of dodging the question, but doing the best I can, I think what's really truly human is to be able to ask a question like that, like what's truly human? Sure. So I think that you know, what we are or how we are in the world or what makes us different from animals or objects or plants or deities, uh that's what's special about us, is that that matters to us. Because I don't think it matters to cats and dogs, certainly not to rocks and trees and planets and stuff like
0: that. So, And you don't think it matters to Odin? odin that's a question for another uh, day yeah we don't know enough about what matters to odin yeah i probably don't think that odin and his friends exist
1: but if they did they're very human-like aren't they i mean
0: i guess so yeah so so our understanding of what matters to odin is parasitic on our understanding of what it is to be a great human but what's interesting
1: um, about the you know the greek gods is um they're, of course they're they're a kind of quasi human-like family up on mount olympus but what's interesting about them is the, the way in which they're completely different from us they couldn't care less about all kinds of things because they don't have to worry about aging or dying or whatever they they they're, don't they're, they're not bread eaters which is uh because they don't have to have nutrition they can eat nectar they can eat candy they all day. Do eat nectar. And, yeah, uh, or ambrosia like, yeah, or whatever butter, it is butterflies yeah so so i think um yeah i think that this disruptive kind of questioning or doubt or even anxiety to get back to our terrifying theme uh is what makes us quote-unquote human or what we are and that that might get lost in this kind of ocean of bullshit and passing the word along and information processing and uh doing a sort of routinized job that's that's scary. I don't think it'll ever be completely lost unless we go extinct but it's a scary thought that it's a it's a rising tide of b s competing with real human feeling and sympathy and intuition and
0: love and so on yeah right and you would like people at least to be able to say, Hey, this computer program is telling me I should fire bob ought I to listen to it?" rather than creating mechanisms where people are never able to question their tools, the pronouncements of their tools, that that's very bad indeed. Very and that bad. Is, does seem to be something that's that people in a sort of a misguided pursuit of, they'll probably say fairness, but it's probably just economic efficiency, like saving money, that they're like, well, wow, what if... um. What if all the hiring and firing decisions were made by an algorithm? Like, that's not a good thing. It'll and quickly people...
1: become a buzzsaw.
0: <laughs> so people saying that, um, uh, people saying that, uh, chat GPT, that's what it's called. Yeah. that chat GPT is a human. They're not just innocent techno futurists. They're actually known or unbeknownst to them pursuing a very wicked political agenda. Well, they I should be, I would be cautious <laughs> about that. I, really I cautious. Think, I think a lot of them are just having fun.
1: I think a lot okay. of them just think this is exciting and fun. And it's like it's like playing a game. And um, and it and they're also what they're thinking is this is going to make a lot of people really rich because it'll save all, all kinds of time because we'll automate a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, lots of people will lose their jobs. I'm not so convinced of this. I think it'll maybe reshape things the way a lot of technologies have. But again, nobody thinks it's really human. But what they think is it's doing something that could replace a lot of human work in an automated way. And they don't mind calling it intelligent because they think intelligent is a word like fly where an airplane flies and a bird flies. And so you might as well say the AI is intelligent. Um, And that's a kind of verbal change. But if you scratch beneath the surface, it may turn out that it's a little trivial because it turns out they don't really mean it's intelligent in the sense that a human being is intelligent. The word will have just split off into having two different kinds of applications. Um, right but this reminded me of something else i want to say i think something that is probably bound to be beyond not just sort of machine intelligence but any kind of routinization two things come to mind one is mercy in relation to justice Mm -hmm. so there's a famous kind of problem about at what point as a judge in do you do you Uh, Depart from sort of the demands of the law abstractly conceived and exercise mercy or clemency. Like, are are you sacrificing justice to be merciful? And I think a lot of people would say, no, that's what it is to be just, is to be just, but also mercifully just. So it's mm-hmm. not like you're compromising. You're actually perfecting justice by being merciful. Uh, and something similar is with uh, forgiveness. Uh, you can blame somebody. You can hold people responsible. I guess it's almost the same thing as mercy, right? At what point do you back off and say, okay, there's no algorithm for that. I think the, I don't think there can be any abstract rule about when to forgive somebody, even though you know that they did something wrong or that was hurtful. But you, then you say somehow, what are you saying when you say, I forgive you. Okay. It's like, let's put this away. Let's put this aside. It's very weird to forgive somebody a split second after they've done something terrible. You say, oh, that's terrible. How could you have done that? All right, I forgive you. <laughs> so, But how much time? I mean, 50 years, 100 years, a year, a month? I. I it seems to me that's something that just in its nature can't be routinized or uh, made to follow any kind of precise rule.
0: It has to be intuited. It has to be from the heart, as it were. I agree with you, and I also feel... I wouldn't want it to be routinized because I want you to forgive me, not your rule to forgive exactly. me. Exactly. That if you have a rule and you consult it. If you knew that it was going to be exactly six months. Yeah. If you consult your rule, I don't feel that you love me as much <laughs> yeah. as if you break your rule. Yeah. So if you have a rule right. or a computer or even a, a, a consultant yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that you yeah. go right. to, yeah. you haven't forgiven me. You haven't forgiven me. Whatever you go to, like, I kind of want it to be you. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's right. It has to come from you. If I have a 90 day minimum forgiveness rule, (laughs) or, you know, you have to, I'm sorry, seven more days before the forgiveness happens because it's, you know, it's my rule. Right. Yeah, you're right. You have to, yeah. So there's a tension there between uh, mercy and justice or forgiveness and blame. But as soon, it's like gift giving. You know, one more thing about gift giving anthropologists have noticed that if the gifts are too exactly reciprocal, It's really sort of a a purchase or a transaction uh, rather than – it has to be gratuitous. It has to be not following the rule in order to be a gift. It has to be a gratuity. It has to be something you didn't have to do. (laughs) Uh, So it's a very delicate – it has to be a delicate balance. And Anyway, so I think a lot of what human beings do is like that, and um, it won't ever disappear completely. But the more that gets squashed out and pushed to the sides, uh, the worse. The worse
0: it is. The worse it is. Okay, so don't be scared of computers, but be scared of people telling you that computers are people. Right? Very good. That's pretty okay. good. That's pretty close. Close oh, approximation. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Peace out, everyone. I thought that was good. I'm less afraid, afraid and I, I feel I'm feeling good about. I this feel one. calmer. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Me too. Have a nice week. Bye bye.
1: podcast is created by Eric Kaplan and Taylor Carmen. It's produced by Amanda Eberhardt. The music and editing is by me, Taylor Carmen, And our cover art illustration is the work of Tony Millionaire. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Terrifying Questions.